0: So this morning, we are picking up where we left off last week in the book of Esther. We're going to be covering chapter 2 today. I'm going to tell you the story of Esther this morning, of Esther 2. But remember, as I said last week, please read Esther chapter 2 for yourself. Did anybody actually read Esther chapter 2 this week? Oh, Valerie did. Yeah, I guess people did. Awesome. Read it. Um, Make sure that I'm not telling you something that isn't there. And also, even more importantly, is that the Holy Spirit may speak something to you that I did not think about or cover this morning. That's what happens when you read the Bible. So do that, please. So, Esther chapter 2. We see in verses 1 and 2 really one through four, but we see verses, especially one and two, um, that we see now that, that Xerxes has, he's, he's been beaten. He had, he, he had a, a big battle. He lost a ton of people. He got thoroughly trounced. And it's been probably three, four, five years since he banished uh, Vashti. And it says that Xerxes' anger subsided. And he's starting to think about bringing Vashti back. He's beginning to regret his decision in, demo, in, in, in banishing Vashti. And so his advisors, wise to the fact that what will happen if Vashti comes back, because they're the ones that said to get rid of her, that they're all pretty much dead, right? So they figure out a way to get Vashti to keep Vashti back and get a new queen. So they try to figure out a way to try and lift the king's spirits, and they're wise enough to watch out for themselves. They knew that Vashti became queen again. They would all be killed. So instead they propose a new idea, and basically it's a Miss America pageant, right? Miss Persia pageant, if you will. The winner gets a real crown, and very similar to our Miss America pageants, except there's only one person in the audience, and that person is King Xerxes. And there's only one judge in this competition, and that person is King Xerxes. And the king wasn't just looking for a wife. He was looking for someone fit to be queen. And, of course... He likes this idea. I mean, who wouldn't like the idea of having a Miss, Miss Persia pageant all for, your, for, your, for you? And so he finds himself holding this beauty pageant of all the beautiful young unmarried women of the land just for him. Just for him. So the author begins to fill us in on some background of this as well. In verse 5, we see that Mordecai was of the tribe of Benjamin, which points to the fact that Mordecai was a descendant of King Saul. This little detail will be very important in the rest of the story later on. Like a good plot, we learn little bits of detail that may seem trivial, but will become really important later. In verse 7, we learn the Hebrew name for Esther is Hadassah. We talked about that last week. Esther, remember, is her Persian name, and, and that literally means something hidden. Apparently, her mother and father died when she was young, and Mordecai, her uncle, basically adopted and raised her. The king sends out an order for all girls of proper age and looks to be brought to the city where he was staying. So hundreds of the most beautiful women in the country were brought to the king's palace. Esther is one of those. It says that Esther quickly gains the favor of Haggai, and verse 9 says that he treated her kindly and got her the best foods and the best beauty treatments. Now, does this remind you of another story? Does this remind you of a character in the Old Testament that was brought somewhere unfairly? Because Esther is being treated unfairly here. And the answer is Joseph, as was the one I thought of. It is like the promise that we see over and over and over again, In Scripture, that if we live in obedience to God, whatever we do, will prosper. Because what happened in the story of Joseph? Real quickly, you remember? Joseph gets unfairly blamed for something that he didn't do. He gets thrown into jail, unfairly. Hester is unfairly brought into the king's palace, unfairly treated to this, this pageant that she didn't sign up for. And what happens in the story of Joseph, if you remember correctly, right, is Joseph is thrown into jail and he is, lives faithfully and, and the, the captain of the, of the whole jail says, man, this guy is, is amazing and, and everything he does is like, I'm going to put him in charge of all these prisoners. And then, then the king hears a dream, he has a dream, and then Joseph gets, interprets that dream and everything is good. And then what happens to Joseph? He gets elevated to the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. That's maybe a little foreshadowing of what might happen in the story of Esther, if you don't know it. So we saw it with Joseph, and we see it now with Esther. And so we see in verse 10 that Mordecai had warned Esther not to let anyone know about her lineage or about her ethnicity. Mordecai must have been a pretty high-up official because he is allowed to come and go from the palace as he pleased, so much so that he was able to hear every day about how Esther was doing. The story tells us that every girl would undergo a year of preparation for her evening with the king. And when a girl's turn came, she would go before the king She would spend the night with him. And then after the night was over, she would go to the harem and become a concubine. That was the bright future for these girls. She would not see the king again unless he summoned her by name. The way this is written, we can see that the author here is disgusted with the king. He has just taken all of the most beautiful women in the country into his own harem, and he sleeps with them one by one, and if he is not pleased with them, well, that's too bad. Now that the king has slept with her, she has to remain in the harem. And in verse 15, the author is very clear to contrast Esther with those other girls. She took nothing but what Haggai advised. The others went in flashy, with showy extravagance, in, in, in a beautiful dress, and beautiful adornment. But Esther went, unpretentiously, simply. She shows a refusal of a pagan luxury that is in keeping with the actions and attitudes of all the other girls. This is like Daniel. When Daniel was in captivity, Daniel chose to live and show himself differently. That's what Esther is doing here. But we see that the Esther pleased the king, and so she became the queen. He hosts a banquet here, and I want to clue you in on this. Anytime you see a, a banquet happening in this story, it's important. The important moments happen at the banqueting table. So at this banquet, the king is happy. Everything is all right now. He may have lost his whole army, but now he has a queen again. And in verse 20, Esther continues in obedience to Mordecai. She didn't think, well, now I'm queen. I'm pretty awesome. I can do what I want, and my race doesn't matter. She doesn't do that. Instead, she still respects and obeys Mordecai, even though she is the queen. She did not say, I have, I have a queen now, I have power, what do I need him for, why should I listen to him? What does he know about being queen? He doesn't, she doesn't say any of that. She continues in obedience to what she has been called to do. Now the last part of chapter 2 is tucked away. I'm going to read it straight from the Bible, as it is going to be really important later. This, this, these last three verses, starting in verse 21. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes. And they plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, The two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. And this was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Remember that book, because it's important. So here's a few things to consider this morning as we move through this passage. Some argue that Esther was sinful in going, and, and, and Mordecai was sinful in letting her go, to the king, But the author here is very careful to tell us that they did not have a say in this. What does it what does say? It says that Esther was taken to the king's palace. This is in a passive voice in the Hebrew language, meaning that this happened to her. She didn't voluntarily go. This happened to her. She did not choose to go, nor was she allowed but to go by Mordecai, nor did he let her go or give her up. She was taken. Guards came in and took her away. There's no sin there. Remember that although God is not mentioned in this book, he is all over it. It is also interesting to see the number seven again. The number seven is throughout this entire book. She is given seven maidens to serve her. Earlier we saw a feast of seven days, we saw seven eunuchs, we saw seven advisors, and now we see seven maidens. What does the number seven represent in Scripture? Anybody? Well, it represents God. It It was the number of completion, right? The number that God... Was done with something. Right? So, yeah, God is not mentioned in this book, but man, God is here. You just have to look for Him. Xerxes is not a good man. In case you were wondering, he is literally destroying lives for His benefit. The background of this whole story is that He is a weak ruler. And before the book of Esther takes place, he has lost a great battle, and he loses a great battle again, and he loses much of his army. And the reason why he threw two banquets was because he wanted to take everyone's minds off of the humiliating defeat that he had just had. Xerxes' search for a queen should have limited, that, that search should have been limited to seven noble families. Instead, he is willing to destroy the reputations of hundreds of women, and take from them what in the Far East culture was the most important, and that was virtue, and that was their purity. And all for what? All for what? So that he could make sure that he had the best wife in the land. And even then, all of those women that he just discarded after one night had to stay in his harem for his own enjoyment, in case he wanted to have a night on a whim. Xerxes is a bad man, Xerxes is a bad king, and he listened to the counsel of bad men. I want you to notice this too Mordecai had brought Esther up, teaching her to obey and follow his instructions. Training a child begins when they are young. Obedience will not just happen when they reach sixth grade or they get to high school. Many parents believe that they will be able to just reason with their children when they're older. So discipline now is not needed. Scripture and experience tells us exactly the opposite. Proverbs 22.6, you guys know this one, tells us this. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old you will not stray from it. Speaking of bringing up a child in the way they should go, yesterday I took Evelyn out and uh, taught her how to shoot my crossbow. And uh, she, she shot at that target twice, and she got a bullseye one time, and she destroyed the arrow the other time. But, you know, one out of two ain't bad, right? So I, I, I'm trying to bring up my daughter in the way she should go. But Mordecai did this. Mordecai brought up Esther the way that she should go, and we will see the amazing results that it has in the life of Esther and for all the Israelites that are in Persia. So, this morning, I just want to talk about three things quickly. The first one is that, that even when you don't see Him, God is greater than your circumstances. Even when you don't see him, God is greater than your circumstances. Verse 8 says, As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. You want to talk about a, a bad hand? Esther had a bad hand. Her only crime was that she was too beautiful. That's really it. Here she is trying to be a good Jewish girl, minding her own business, not making any waves. She's already lost her parents. She's being raised by her older cousin, not her uncle, her cousin. And now, this. At this point, things could have gone one of two ways for Esther. She could have quit. She could have just been done. She could have said, That's it, I'm done, no more. She could have refused to cooperate. She could have refused to be a contestant in the sick game of Xerxes. She could quit by just going along with the whole thing and, and done everything the same way everybody else did. However, she at some point, she decided she was going to allow God to use her, even if she didn't know how or if He would do anything for her. She was a very different contestant. She wasn't flashy. She wasn't showy. She was humble. She didn't lose herself. She stayed true to her upbringing and true to the way of her people. And this was noticed quickly. Look at verse 9. Haggai was very impressed with Esther, treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her, provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned seven maidens. Especially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best part of the harem. Beth Moore says in Persia, beauty wasn't something that you were, it was something you did. Unfortunately, in that culture and in ours, you can never do enough. So she did it her way. She struck Xerxes with her outward beauty, yet she also had. An inner strength that he noticed and loved. And so often God's people tend to have that inner strength. And because of this God raised her up just like Joseph to a position of prominence so that like Joseph she might one day save God's people. Church, when all looks lost, when the chip seems stacked against you, that is when God is at his best when it seems like there is no other way, when everything seems too hard, too impossible, that is when God can move mountains. I have seen it in my life. I have seen it in Heather's life. I have seen it in Elijah's life. God shows up when our circumstances seem too big, when they seem too out of control. And I know that there are many of you in this room that can tell you many ways that God has been bigger than your circumstances. Number 2, God is greater than your com- your your compromise. Verse 20, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. Listen, Esther had to compromise. First and foremost, she was forced to sleep with a man who was not her husband. She had to live by the traditions and customs of the Persians, not her Jewish faith. She had to to keep who she was, her nationality, her faith a secret, and from all appearances, the Persians were not happy with the people of Israel, and, and she brought trouble, maybe even banishment and death on her head if she revealed who she was. And so she compromised. In this room this morning, I'm sure that some of you may, there may be some people in here that feel like they too have compromised too much. Maybe you feel like you have given into your sinful nature too much for God to love you. Heck, to even like you. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Perhaps you come here on Sundays and you feel like you have to put on a show, to put on a mask because you messed up too big. And too much. Too much. Listen to me. Listen to me. If that is you this morning, I want you to know that God is greater than your compromise. He loves you, He can, and He wants to forgive you this morning. He wants for you and Him to get on the same page, and He wants to start a beautiful relationship with you. You guys remember Mark 2.17. It says when Jesus heard this, He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. Don't. He will take you as you are torn up, bloody, bedraggled. None of that matters. He is greater than your greatest fears and your greatest sins. Come to Jesus. Number three is that God is greater than your conflicts. Verse 22, but Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. For those of us that know the rest of the story, how ironic that a Jew would be the one at the king's gate to jump to Xerxes' defense. I was listening to my friend's podcast the other day, and and they talked a lot about the book of Jeremiah. How we, just as Jeremiah called the people of Israel, are to live in this land that is a foreign land, as foreigners. Israel was under the control and the rule of Babylon in Jeremiah, and and now we're just, we're a post-Christian nation. We too are are foreigners, if we're Christians, we're foreigners living in a foreign land. Anyway, we are to live in this land as a foreigner, and like Jeremiah 29.7 says, we are to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. That meant that even though this King Xerxes was a bad man and a bad king, Mordecai had a duty to do right by the land that he was living in, even though it was a wicked, bad place. What would have been much easier? For Mordecai to zip his lip and let things happen. Maybe Xerxes would have died, maybe not, but either way, I'm not getting involved. And guys, that's a good reminder for us. Because I know that we sit here in this land of Illinois and we don't feel like we're represented well sometimes. And we don't feel like maybe everybody has the best intentions for us. But like Mordecai, like Jeremiah, this is the land that we live and we should do the best for those in it. And we should respect those that are in charge, even if we disagree. Church, God is greater than whatever conflicts that we have in this life. Friends, when we do what is right, even in the face of stacked odds and seemingly impossible times, those never those things never come back void. Bowen, when we speak truth and love, when we share the gospel, Isaiah fifty five, eleven says, So my will so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. Church, God loves us. We might not see it, but God is weaving in all of us a story, a beautiful story, a fantastic tapestry that one day will all make sense, even when we can't quite see it yet. Let's pray.